husband and wife are sitting there on the couch together. They're both enjoying their own glasses of wine. At one point, the wife breaks the silence and she says, I love you. At which point, the husband looks back at her and says, honey, is that you speaking or is that the wine speaking? At which point, she says, it's me speaking to the wine. We start a brand new series this morning called Love and War. It is all about how to have a godly relationship. And if you happen to be single, you can take some of these things and apply them to a relationship that you have down the road. But specifically today, we're starting off with married people. Raise your hand if you happen to be one of the married people in the audience. All right. You're you're not enthusiastic at all. I'm married. That's me. (laughs) A couple years ago, one of my, my best friends, he comes to me and says, Matt, I'm getting married. Would you consider becoming the best man of my wedding. And I was like, heck yeah, I love free cake. I'm all about that. Yeah, sure. So he said, okay, you got to go buy this particular outfit. So I remember the day of the wedding came, they had all this preparation, all the planning, all the Pinterest that went into the preparation leading up to the day of the wedding. Day of the wedding shows up and I'm standing in a chapel, standing in a church. And, And as I'm standing there, I'm wearing this outfit that he told me I should buy. He's wearing the same outfit. All these other groomsmen there are all wearing, it's a gray suit. I look very dapper like I do right now. <laughs> it's got a matching tie, I got the matching vest, I've got the matching pants, the matching shoes, we all look identical. The ceremony begins, they open up the back doors, the center doors of the chapel, and bridesmaids start coming down one by one, holding their flowers. They come line up right next to the pastor and all these other groomsmen and, and the, the, the groom. And then the, the ring bearer comes forward and he comes and stands next to the groom. And then the flower girl comes forward and she's throwing flower petals every which, which direction. And then they close the back doors of the chapel. At which point I heard the lyrics of Etta James' song. At last my love has come along. Thank you. <laughs> I'm married. <laughs> They open up the back doors of the chapel, and there stands the bride and the father of the bride. He begins to walk his little girl down the aisle to get to the very front. He lifts her veil. He puts her hand into the hand of my buddy, and they have this wedding ceremony. I do, you do, we do, hootie-hoo. It's a beautiful celebration, marriage. And so they get married. He kisses his bride. They literally cheer, yeah! Then they run down the center aisle. They go take pictures. Meanwhile, we have a reception with everybody. I get free cake. (laughs) So I get my cake that I came for. It's a beautiful thing. They go off and whisk themselves away on a two-week honeymoon. They come back after the honeymoon. The bride goes to Hobby Lobby. And when she goes to Hobby Lobby, she finds a sign, one of those wooden beautiful signs. It's got hand-painted the letters on there. And it says the words, it says the words, happily ever after. And she takes that sign. And she literally nails it above her bed in their master bedroom. Two years later, they were divorced. What happened? What happened to the happily ever after? I'll tell you what happened to the happily ever after. It doesn't exist. I think the sign should say, marriage is difficult. Marriage is hard. This is not as romantic as happily ever after, but, but that's the reality. Marriage is difficult, and it makes sense why marriage is difficult, because you have two people who are single, who aren't yet married, two people that are, are selfish because they don't, they don't really care about other people that, that much. It's just, what do I want to do? I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. It's like the Burger King lifestyle. Have it your way. That's what it's like to be a, a single person. Combine that with the fact that they're sinful. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you've got two selfish, sinful people that blend their lives together, 
And people have the assumption that just because they come together, they're joined together, that their sin and their selfishness disappears. And that's not the case. It just doubles up. <laughs> you have twice the sin and twice the selfishness, which is, I think is why I saw a bumper sticker a couple weeks ago that said this. It said, marriage is a three-ring circus. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. <laughs> really? Is that... Is that as good as it gets? Is that what we have to look forward to with marriage, an engagement ring and a wedding ring and then the suffering? I don't think so. And the reason why I don't think that's the case, I don't think that's what God has intended to just be a suffering in your, in your marriage. The reason why I don't think that's the case is because God's the one that created marriage. Here's what God says in Genesis chapter 2. He says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, that they become one flesh. God, God created marriage. He's the one that invented it. And then fast forward, here's what Jesus says. He says, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God's created us to live an abundant and fulfilling life. God created and invented marriage. So marriage should lead towards being a part of the fulfilling life. Yet there's so many couples that would say that they have an unfulfilling marriage. Why do we have an, an unfulfilling marriage? Why is that... The case, I think the case is because a lot of us have an idea of what marriage is supposed to look like that differs from the person whom we've married. Now, here's how we create the definition of marriage. There's no high school class that teaches you how to become married, unfortunately. There's no, there's no college 101, like marriage 101 class that you go through and this is how you're supposed to be married. There's, there's no classes like that. So we have to figure it out on our own. And here's what most people do. They do, they do one of two things. As they observe other people's marriages, as they observe other relationships, they either adopt what they've seen or they avoid what they've seen, or a combination of both. Maybe you see somebody's marriage on TV or in a movie. Maybe it's your own parents' marriage. You're like, okay, I want to adopt this. I don't want to do that. That's a messed up marriage. I don't want to adopt what they've got. But I will adopt this. I'm going to avoid that. And here's what happens. We begin to adopt this idea, this idea, this idea. And we create in our minds this perfect picture of what marriage is supposed to look like. And while that sounds normal, at the same time that you're doing that, the person whom you're going to marry is doing that. And they're creating in their mind their list of expectations as far as what marriage is supposed to look like. They're adopting this, avoiding that, adopting this, avoiding that. And two people who have two different pictures of what marriage is supposed to look like, they're joined together. And oftentimes the reality of their marriage looks different than the picture they had in their mind. It reminds me of what I refer to as Pinterest fails. <laughs> uh, Pinterest, has anybody ever been on Pinterest before? Raise your hand if you've been on Pinterest. Okay, 12 of you, good. Um, so, so Pinterest, if you've never been there, it's, it's a website that it's just a waste of time, really. Uh, but it's a website, thank you, <laughs> boom. <laughs> it's, a, it's a website where there's millions of photos of people who are like perfect at life, and they, they take pictures of like their perfect life and the perfect living room and the perfect cookies, and, and then they post it, and people are like, oh, I could totally do that. And it's supposed to be inspiring for people, but it's not always inspiring. I have an example. Here's a Here's a picture of some cookie monster cupcakes. Those look delectable, don't they? Don't, don't, don't they look scrumptious? And I'm sure some people are like, I could totally do that. I can make that. But there's some people that take this picture and they're like, I want to do what they did. <laughs> and here's, here's their version of it. Not exactly what they had in mind. <laughs> Good try. Nailed it. <laughs> 
There's another one I found on, on Pinterest. There's a picture of some artwork made up of some, some melted crayons. I don't even know how you do this. What do you take some art with some, some, some crayons and take it into the sauna with you, like hot yoga? I don't really know how you do this. But some people are like, oh, I could totally make that myself. I get a flamethrower or whatever and make my own artwork. And so here's somebody else's rendition of that artwork. <laughs> not, not exactly. Not exactly the same thing. I've, I've got another one. There's a, a picture of a minion cake, good for like a, a fifth grade party or something like that. And you might see that and be like, I could totally do that. How hard is it to make a minion? Somebody tried, here's their version of what they came up with. <laughs> I love it, Mom. <laughs> That's just what I was hoping for. Despicable. <laughs> I, got, I got one more. This one's my favorite a picture of uh, some kids. Aw. Everybody say, aw. Yeah, so cute, like they're staged perfectly, the beautiful uh, backdrop on there, the fading, obviously a professional photo. Some parents saw this and they're like, I could totally do that with my kids. And here's what they did, trying to make the same picture. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. I think marriage is similar to Pinterest fails. I think sometimes people have this picture in their mind as far as what marriage is supposed to look like, and then when they actually get into the marriage, it's different than what they envisioned. In fact, here's what I think most people assume that marriage is going to be like. It's going to be like this picture here. Now, that's a cruise ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise before? Okay, all right, a couple of you. You know that a cruise is like a floating, all-inclusive vacation, right? And so if you go on a cruise line, uh, oftentimes people, you know, they go to be pampered, and they go to, to be waited on hand over foot. And, and so I think sometimes people enter into marriage, and they're like, that's, that's just like a cruise line, right? I have somebody to, like, make all my meals for me, to make my bed for me, to, to put away my laundry, to do all my laundry. I could have dry cleaning. I can have massages any time of the day. And sometimes people assume that marriage is like, like a cruise ship. And in reality, when they get into marriage, it's a little bit more like this. And they're like, what happened? They're like, this isn't the picture I had in my mind. I thought that marriage is going to be different than, than what I'm actually experiencing, but I feel like I'm drowning. And I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm barely able to tread water. And, and here's what happens. Oftentimes, one or both people, based on their, their expectations that they had in marriage, they go to the other person. They say, I, I think I made a mistake. I think I married the wrong person. I don't think this is working out. And so oftentimes what happens, in fact, 41% of the time for first-time marriages, they walk, they divorce, and then they take all those pictures of what they had in their mind, and they take them to a new person and say, maybe you can meet my expectations, my hopes, my dreams, my, my, my thoughts of what marriage is supposed to look like. And then the statistics aren't any better for second-time marriages. There's a 60% failure rate for second-time marriages. And if that doesn't work out, gather those pictures up, take it to another person, and it's a 73% failure rate for third-time marriages and the statistics get worse and worse as as you go. And I wish I could say that I wish I could say that for Christian marriages it's different. But the statistics aren't any better. When you look at all the marriages combined, it's a 51% failure rate. 51% of the people that say till death do us part walk. Now why is that? I think it's whether you're Christian or whether you're not Christian. People have this idea, they have these expectations that they've built up in their mind as far as what a marriage is supposed to look like. And when unrealistic expectations are created, those unrealistic expectations lead to real disappointments. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write that, that down in your program. Unrealistic expectations lead to real disappointments. 
what do we have to look forward to? Is that just how it is? We're just going to have an engagement ring, a wedding ring, and suffering, and that's what we have to look forward to in marriage? Well, perhaps is there a better way? Perhaps there's there a way that we can have a thriving marriage, a marriage that we love being a part of, that we feel so blessed being a part of. I believe it's possible, but it might require a shift of mentality. And, and here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes when, when we're going into marriage, we pull this, I'm going to adopt this idea, I'm going to adopt this idea, I'm going to adopt this idea, I'm going to adopt this idea. And we have this picture of what marriage is supposed to be like. But rather than create that picture of marriage from other marriages or what we see on TV or in Hollywood, here's what I submit to you. Make your picture of what marriage is supposed to look like based on what God's word says. Because God invented marriage. And if he invented marriage, he also invented a way, a path for how we can be married in a thriving, fulfilling marriage. So rather than just creating your own picture of, as far as what you expect, let's look to God's word as far as what a real marriage looks like. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, you can write down REAL stands for an acronym, R-E-A-L. Here's what a real marriage looks like. Step one, the R of real is this, respect one another. Respect one another. Here's what the Bible says about respect. Ladies, you are called to respect your husbands. Every one of you, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, what ladies? Respect her husband. You were called, ladies, you were called to respect your husband. Now, husbands, you're not off the hook with this because you too in First Peter are challenged to respect your wife. Here's what it says in First Peter. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with what, fellas? Respect. Men and women, you are called to respect your spouse. We're all called to respect our spouses. Now, here's what respect is not. Respect is not saying kind things to your spouse and then as soon as they leave, you trash them publicly. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with a bunch of husbands gathered around who are trashing their wives. And it's like, this is your best friend. Why are you saying these things about this other person? This is your spouse, the person you've exchanged vows. Why are you saying those things? I can't tell you how many conversations I have overheard with women who are trashing their husbands. If, if you're in the habit of trashing your spouse, stop. Anytime you respect or disrespect your spouse, you're disrespecting them, you're disrespecting yourself, and you're disrespecting God. Stop talking poorly about your spouse behind their back. You should be using your words to build them up, to edify them, to build them, to encourage them. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up the one in need and bringing them grace to those who listen. We are called to use our words to build other people. And this goes for your kids, your coworkers, your friends, but especially your spouse. You should use your words to build them, not just when they're face-to-face, -face, but especially when they're not around. Use your words to build them. I would say it this way. There should be no greater fan for your spouse than you. You should be your spouse's, your spouse's greatest fan. Here's a question. Are you? Is anybody else a bigger fan of your spouse than you? Because if so, that person is robbing from you the responsibility God has entrusted to you. You should be your spouse's greatest fan, their biggest advocate, their best cheerleader. Nobody should be more on fire for your spouse than you. Are you taking that responsibility seriously? That's what it is to respect your spouse. Respect them not just to their face, but especially when they're not around. How do you have a real marriage? You respect your spouse. The E in real stands for this. Eliminate absolutes. Never, 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 ever use the word never <laughs> in your marriage, especially when it comes to fighting and arguing. You can get into disagreements. You can, you can fight in a healthy way, in a God-honoring way, 
But what's not God honoring is using absolutes, absolute terms like never. You never do this. You always do that. 99 times out of 100, you're, you're stretching the truth. That never, that always is not actually accurate. You're twisting the truth. You're deceiving reality. And, and here's what Jesus says about twisting the truth. He says in John 8, when Satan lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But friends, your spouse is not Satan. <laughs> I know that some of you might disagree with me. <laughs> your spouse is not the enemy. Don't bring deceit into your relationship. Don't bring lies and try to, to create lies in your relationship. When Ashton and I, my wife and I, were dating years ago, we made the decision we will not allow deceit in our relationship. We will not lie to each other. Sometimes we get into disagreements. Sometimes we butt heads. But we made agreement years ago that when we don't see eye to eye, we will always go to the truth. God's word is the truth. And God will always be the tiebreaker, which means sometimes I'm being selfish and mean and, and, and stubborn. Sometimes it means she's being selfish or mean or stubborn. But God's word and his truth is what we always come back to. You should strive to bring more truth, more biblical principles into your marriage. Don't bring lies. Don't bring deceit. Don't bring exaggerations. How do you have a real God-honoring marriage? Respect one another. Eliminate absolutes. The A stands for this. Accept your differences. Accept your differences. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said this. It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God created Eve for Adam. You know, when you get to, to pick your spouse, you get to pick your mate. There's 7 billion people worldwide. You got a lot of options. But the reality is that you're not going to find a carbon copy of you. And God's created you with passions, with abilities, with talents. And, and I would encourage you as your pastor, use those things to be a benefit, to be a blessing to other people. But I would also say the same thing to your spouse. Here's what Paul says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Bottom line that he's making is that you've been entrusted with these gifts that God's given to you. Use them. But don't be frustrated that your spouse doesn't have the exact same gifts. Oftentimes it becomes a rub of, oh, that person doesn't think like me. They're not the exact same way as me. Yeah, God created them differently. Rather than being upset at how different they are, be thankful, be grateful. Say, you know, there's two different individual people that God has crafted, he's designed and made with their, their specific talents and passions and abilities. When you bring them into a marriage, you get all those attributes in your marriage. You are better together than you are separately. Stop being upset that your spouse is different. Be thankful that your spouse is different from you. How do you have a real God-honoring marriage? You respect one another. You eliminate absolutes. You accept your differences. And then step four, the L of real is this. Love at all times. Love no matter what. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Now, I'm going to stop there in the middle of that verse. Because what, what the author is talking about, he's not talking about clothing yourselves in, in, in whatever you're wearing, your actual clothes. He's talking about characteristics. He's talking about attributes. My wife and I recently watched a show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Worst show of all time. Thank you. I know that's a dude clapping. <laughs> Here's what the premise of the show is. This woman comes into people's houses and she says, oh, I'm going to help you tidy up by throwing everything away. 
And so she comes into, into your house, and she goes through your closet. She's like, I'm going to help you figure out how to clothe yourselves with, with clothes. So take all your clothes out and dump them on the bed. And so people dump all their clothes out. And then she says, okay, here's the instructions. You hold up a shirt, and you look at it, and you ask yourself, have I worn this shirt in the last year? And if no, you have to discard that shirt or donate it or, or whatever. But she says, but before you do that, you have to say thank you to the shirt. <laughs> so there's these people on the show, thank you, shirt. And then they discard it. Thanks, pants. <laughs> Thanks, underoos. <laughs> Thanks, shoes for letting me walk around. It's silly. But the point is, is that once you narrow down your whole pile of stuff, she says, this is what you should clothe yourself in. Paul, author of Colossians, he says, well, rather than focusing on the clothes, let's focus on the attributes, the godly characteristics of, as far as what we're clothing ourselves in. Here's what he says we should clothe ourselves in. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the characteristics we're challenged to clothe ourselves in. And, and I think the reason why God's word spells out how we should dress with these attributes is because a lot of us don't do it naturally. We find ourselves in a marriage and we're like, well, this, this isn't what I expected. This picture is different than what I thought in my mind. And, and rather than clothing ourselves in compassion or kindness or, or gentleness, we wind up clothing ourselves in bitterness and resentment. And I, and I think God is making the point to literally tell us this is what you should be dressing up with. These are the attributes you should be putting on. He continues on in verse 13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's six attributes that are described that, that should be bound together with love. Those are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Those attributes are, are how we should treat our spouse. These are the expectations that God has for us, how we treat the person who is our biggest fan. So let's break them down one by one really quickly. Compassion. What's compassion? Compassion is empathy plus action. It's, it's seeing that you could do something for your spouse, spouse, but not just seeing the need, doing something about it. Daniel Goldman says this, he says, true compassion means not only feeling another person's pain, but also being moved to help relieve it. You see something that could be done for your spouse, and rather than just being apathetic, or rather than just the, them figuring out a solution on, on their own, you do something about it. Last week, I came down with the flu. I was out for about eight days. My wife, God bless my wife, she came and brought me ramen noodles, Gatorade, she brought me crackers. She's had the flu before, but, but when I came down with the flu, she could have just been like, oh, I've had that before. I can empathize what that feels like, and that really stinks. Good luck. But instead, she, she took action. She went to the store, and she brought me soup and drinks. It's not just seeing a need for somebody. It's doing something about it. That's compassion. That's the first of the six attributes. The second one is this, kindness. Kindness is not choosing to be somebody who's passive-aggressive or sarcastic, but choosing to see the best in the other person. I heard a story of a husband and wife. They were getting ready for their anniversary. The husband says to the wife, he says, honey, where would you like to go for our anniversary? And she says, I don't know, maybe someplace I've never been before. And he responds back, well, how about the kitchen? <laughs> don't use that, husbands. <laughs> Sometimes we, we, in our humor, we, we throw out sarcastic comments thinking, ah, oh, it's just fine, it's totally fine, we can, we can say these types of things, but it's cutting 
We're wounding our spouse. We have to be very cautious with the words that we use. Here's what kindness is like. You know those magnifying mirrors that you see in like salons and spas? Sometimes they're in hotels. Ladies, perhaps some of you have them in your, your own bathroom. It's like that mirror that you look in it and it shows you all the blackheads and all the imperfections and the blemishes. You know what I'm talking about? Here's what kindness is. It's taking like one of those mirrors and holding it up to your spouse, but rather than showing them all their blemishes and all the defects, you're calling out all the, the positive things in their life. This is what kindness is. You're saying, I, I, I could magnify all those other, other things, but I choose to magnify and I choose to uphold and, and uplift all the, the things that make you awesome. That's what kindness is, choosing to, to speak the best about the other person that sometimes they don't even believe about themselves. That's what kindness is. We continue on. Humility is another attribute from Colossians. Humility is saying, hey, you know what? Your needs are more important than mine. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to put you first. That's what humility is. It's choosing to, to put the other person higher as a priority than who, who you are. The next one is gentleness. Sometimes perhaps you do see a way that they can improve. A way that they're not being godly is it, gentleness is not taking their nose and rubbing it in their mistake and saying, ha, you always do this. You always make this mistake. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. But you can do that with gentleness. You can do that by being soft with how you can equip them and lead them to being more Christ-like. So there's gentleness, and then there's, there's patience. Patience is giving the gift of time for them to figure out how to be more godly in, in the marriage. Patience is saying, I understand you're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. We're all a work in progress. I'm going to give you the time, the runway to be able to figure these things out. I'm going to give you the gift of grace. And then there's forgiveness. Because we're all sinful people. We've all made mistakes and we wrong one another. And when your spouse sins against you, we are called to forgive them. We're called to forgive them as, as God forgives us. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We're called to forgive one another when we wrong each other, when we step on each other's toes, when we're hurtful to each other. Now, imagine this picture for just a moment. Because Paul says, over all of these attributes is love. Imagine this picture in your mind for just a second. Imagine you have this big, comfy, warm, fuzzy blanket. And this is the blanket of love. And, and you grab your spouse and you bring them in close. And you say, hey, I want to I love you. I want to treat you in the way that God has told me to treat you as your spouse. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to respect you. I'm not going to talk poorly about you. I'm going to be your biggest fan. And I'm going to eliminate absolutes. I'm not going to bring deceit. I'm not going to allow lies into this marriage. I'm going to bring the truth in this marriage so it's a foundation. I'm going to accept our differences, not just accept them. I'm going to embrace who you are and who God's created you to be. And I'm going to love you to the best of my ability. I'm going to give you compassion and kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness and gentleness. I'm going to give you all those things wrapped up in love. Look at the picture that this creates, the intimacy that this creates. Friends, this is the picture that God has created for marriage. This is the type of marriage he wants you to experience. And, and notice how different this, different this picture is compared to the, the cruise ship all-inclusive mentality that the cruise ship, this person exists for me, me, me. It's all about me, my wants, my desires. The picture from Scripture is all about what you can do for your spouse. How can you serve this person to the best of your ability? You want, you want the best marriage ever? You want the greatest marriage ever? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. 
You want the greatest marriage? You serve your spouse. You serve them like they've never been served before. You respect them like nobody else respects them. You bring truth in that relationship. You, you accept who they are and how God's created them to be, and you love them to the best of your ability. Here's my challenge, should you be willing to accept it? I think that marriage should be all about how to outserve the other person. It should be a competition to outserve the other person. It's all about how you can serve them. And then imagine this. You have two people who are living this out. Two individual, selfish, sinful people who are saying, I'm going to have a marriage based on what God's expectations are. I'm, I'm going to outserve. My goal is to outserve the other person. That is a picture of a beautiful, thriving, God honoring, real marriage. I've done a lot of premarital counseling with couples over the last decade or so. And oftentimes couples who are engaged, they come to me, Matt, we're getting married, we're, we're going we're gonna to get married, it's going to be happily ever after, it's going to be a beautiful thing, will you do premarital counseling for us? And I'm like, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll bring you back to reality. So I lead them through premarital counseling, and I go through a lot of what we've just talked about, of creating an accurate representation of what God's word says marriage should look like. But part of the process in creating the ceremony for a couple is, as I say, you know, what do you want your ceremony to look like? And we get to the point where we, we, we talk about their vows. And oftentimes, I, I give them the option. Do you want traditional vows where I just say them and you repeat after me? Or do you want to create your own custom vows? And, and more often than not, the fad is that people create their own custom vows. But here's what I've recognized. Oftentimes, couples don't understand what a vow actually is. Because when they give me their vows, I have them ahead of time in case they like, their mind goes blank in the middle of the wedding and they're like, I don't remember what I'm supposed to say. I can repeat them for them. So I get their vows ahead of time. And oftentimes when I read through their vows, there's no vow at all. It's just a lot of statements about why they love the other person. I love you because your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> I don't know. I read it from Song of Solomon or something. <laughs> your teeth are like ivory towers. <laughs> and they list all these different attributes. I love you because of this and this and this. And this. But there's no promise. There's, there's no vow in there. And so I have to go back with them and say, okay, Here's what a vow is. A vow is a promise. A vow is a commitment. It's a statement of action saying, I will do this. I will be this. It's not just saying, here's all the attributes that I love about you. It's saying, I promise this is what I'm going to do in sickness and in health till death do us part. So I don't know what your wedding ceremony looked like. I don't know if you exchanged vows or just a lot of flowery, poetic, Song of Solomon language. I'm not really sure. But as we wrap up this morning, Here's what I would like to do. I'd, I'd like to invite all the married couples to face each other. This is going to be a little bit weird because you're just going to have to move over a little bit. But look at your spouse. Look at your spouse right now. Just turn towards your spouse, wherever they are sitting. Hopefully, they're right next to you. <laughs> and I would like to offer for you to make some vows to each other this morning. Now, these vows don't replace any vows that perhaps you made on your wedding day, but maybe, maybe you can amend those vows. Maybe you can add these vows to those vows because of the scripture that we've just gone through. These are all biblical characteristics, biblical promises that you can make to the other person. So if you're single, this is going to be weird. <laughs> but it's okay because if you're single, you can, you can think about these vows and be like, that's the person that I want to be. That's the type of person, that's the type of relationship that I want to have. 
and perhaps you're married and your spouse isn't with you because they're, they're working or they're deployed or they're skiing in purgatory right now. And that's okay too because you can make these commitments yourself for who you're going to be because marriage is about what you do to serve the other person. So, so if you are married, face your spouse and, and hold their hands. And, and if you agree with these vows that I'm reading, all you need to do is respond by saying the two words, I do, for each vow. Here we go. Do you vow to put God at the center of your marriage? And if so, say, I do. Don't look at me. Look at your spouse. That's weird. You're like all locking eyes with me. Yeah, I do, Matt. <laughs> do you vow to show respect for your spouse? And if so, say, I do. <laughs> I was looking at you. I know, but I could like do it with you. I know, true. <laughs> do you vow to never speak poorly about your spouse behind their back? And if so, say, I do. I do. Do you vow to be your spouse's biggest fan? I do. Do you vow to eliminate absolutes that are exaggerations? I do. Do you vow to strive to accept your spouse's differences? I do. Do you vow to love your spouse by showing compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness? I do. And last one, do you vow to try to outserve your spouse? I do. You may kiss your bride. <laughs> Not my bride, your bride. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon, the author of this, he said this. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. And then he says this. It is better to not make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Friends, we have a, a blueprint in God's word for how we, should, how we should act with our spouse, how we should treat our spouse. My challenge to you is to not just make empty statements here on a Sunday morning at church, but to choose to live those things out, to choose to put your spouse above yourself and to say, I'm all about a real godly marriage. I will respect you. I will eliminate absolutes. I will accept you for who you are and how God's made you, and I will love you to the best of my ability. When you live that out, you will be experiencing the type of marriage God intended you to experience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you especially for every married couple here this morning. I thank you for the fact that you give us an idea as far as what marriage is supposed to look like. And God, we confess that sometimes we create in our minds a different picture than what you intended by adopting this idea and this idea and this idea. And we put in our minds an expectation as far as what marriage is supposed to be like, but it's an unfair expectation because we should look to your word, Father, for what marriage should look like. So, Father, I, I pray for every married couple here this morning. Whether they're thriving right now and, and today's message has just been a reminder of what they've already been doing or whether they perhaps need an overhaul in how they treat one another. God, may we go to your word and trust that your word is truth and that we implement it when we implement your word that you will bless us by giving us a thriving, healthy, God-honoring marriage. God, we thank you for the gift that we have in, in our relationships. 
may we honor you with how we treat the people you've placed around us. And we say this in Jesus' name, amen. your buttons I know what to say to break it down I know how to give you nothing I know how to turn and shut you out we are anything but perfect we both have a million flaws there are days that I want to give up but I won't because I'm gonna fly for you Nothing we can do. I'm gonna fight for you. Nothing's ever gonna burn this down. I'm gonna fight for you until the breath in my lungs runs out. Our love is something I don't wanna lose. Every single day I wanna choose. Thank you to those of you who submitted pictures for us on Facebook. Your marriage is worth fighting for. And while happily ever after may be a dream, it may be a pipe dream, the reality is that you can have a thriving marriage 
that is a blessing to you and to your spouse if you're willing to put in the hard work. And we've got the blueprint in Scripture. It's just a matter of are we willing to live it out. Don't make vows that you don't mean. It's better to not make a vow than to make one and break it. Follow through and fulfill your vows, my friends. If you would like prayer for something going on in your life, we have a team of people who wants to pray for you at the very front of the service as soon as we're done here in a second. If you're visiting uh, with us for the first time, we have a free gift over at the welcome table. We'd love to give you a free gift as our way of saying thank you for joining us. And as you leave here today, especially for you married couples, choose to do everything you can to fight for your marriage, to serve your spouse. And in doing so, you will be inspiring other people by living out a godly, real marriage. Have a great week. Have a happy Valentine's Day. We'll see you next week. God bless.